I want to say thank you to everybody who helped at Sherry's house yesterday. There was uh, about 50 people who showed up, more than we expected, and uh, so many people helped to clean and organize things that needed to be done and throw things away, and uh, next week we'll be at my house, um, so it was, it was amazing. Uh, let's see, how many of you guys, you men, you've made mistakes with your wives before? Please raise your hand all over the room right now. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, many years ago now, some of you have heard maybe this story, but many years ago, I, I've told people that I'm good at, I'm kind of a jack of trades, I'm good at a lot of things, not great at anything, but one of the things I'm not good at at all is mechanics, and I never got that from my dad, and, and uh, so years ago, uh, right when we were married, uh, right around that time, uh, Lisa had a 1985 Dodge Shadow that had a check engine light on, and she would call me about it, she'd say, Stephen, my check engine light's on. I tried to convince her that it was a, a broken light, <laughs> not a problem with her car. And I said, oh, this must be a problem with your light. Well, she called me from the Big Bear uh, grocery store one day and said, called me at work, this is before cell phones, and she said, uh, my car has now died. And so apparently it wasn't a problem with the light after all. And I said, listen, I'll come by later. I mean, I'll come get you now, I'll take you to the apartment, and then I'll go back later and pick up the car, and it'll all be fine. I had... I had what I thought was a very wise plan at the time, and, and so I took her home, I went back to work, I worked for a while, and at the end of the day, I brought my car back to the Big Bear parking lot. Now, guys, immediately you're going to know lots of problems with this story. Trust me, it's been 25 years. I know the problems with this story now in hindsight, but in the middle of it, I thought it was a, I thought it was a good plan. I jumped the car, the car died immediately. Those of you who have any mechanical knowledge know that it's not a battery problem, it's an alternator problem then. And so I knew it was an alternator problem, and at least I had that much knowledge. And I also knew that if I, I realized that if I allowed the car to, to stop, that the engine would die. In other words, you had to keep the gas on in order for the car to keep going with a bad alternator. And so I got there, I jumped the car. Now I know, I should have taken my car to go get her and bring her back to the Big Bear. Then I could have jumped the car. Then we could have taken it to a friend's house where I was going to work on it. That is not what my plan was. Instead, I put the jumper cables on her car. I jumped the car. I grabbed the cables. I threw them in the back of the car, and I got in her car to take off and to go pick her up. Now, I'm driving. Now, I know, again, in hindsight, that I could have put it down into neutral and kept the engine running the whole time, even when I was at stoplights. But back then, when I was 24 years old, I didn't think about that. I thought, this car can't stop. I have to keep going. And that's what I did. Through more than one red light on the way to the apartment complex, I thought, I've got to get her, and I can't stop the car because every time I began to even slightly stop, the engine started to rumble and die. About halfway on the way to the apartment complex, it dawned on me that somehow I have to get Lisa into this car, a moving vehicle. And that's, so I did. I, 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 luckily, it was a good day outside. It was kind of warm. The window was up in the apartment. I rolled down the window on the other side, and as I passed the apartment, I yelled out the window, Hey, Lisa! And she didn't come out right away, and so I turned around in the apartment complex and back through, and on the other side, I yelled through my window, Hey, Lisa! And on the third time around, she came out, and I said, Just wait! And I came back around, I said, Get your purse, get your keys, and just, you're going to have to get in the car. Now, that could have been, for her, I don't know what she was thinking at the moment, uh, but I wasn't even thinking that. I was thinking, she's got to get into this car. She did exactly that. She got her purse, and she got her keys, and I said, next time around, you're going to have to jump in the car. 
she had no knowledge of what was happening at all. Why was this happening, and what was this lunatic doing? But literally, I, she did. She, I don't know. She was just a nice, loving wife. And I, I threw open the car door, and literally, she tossed her keys and purse in the car, put her hand on the door and on the top of the car, and started to run beside the car while I was going two to three miles an hour because I could not stop the car because if I did, it would die. Lisa, is this story absolutely true so far? Okay, yeah, it's absolutely true. She only hesitated, not because it's not true, uh, but because it was a stupid moment. Anyway, so here we are. Now we're on our way. She gets in the car. We're on our way to the Big Bear. Now we're going to pick up my car, and we're going to take them both to the place where I'm going to get the car fixed, which is a friend's house, and I'm going to change the alternator. And so we get there to Big Bear, and it was an interesting conversation on the way to Big Bear, I assure you. Now, when we got there, it dawned on me once again that she's got to get out in order to get the other car. Now, I know I could have stopped right by my car, and I could have jumped it again, but I wasn't thinking that at the time. And I said, you, babe, you've got to get out because this car can't stop. I've got to go over to this person's house so we can fix the car. And so you've got to get out. She said, I'm not getting out of a moving vehicle. I said, you have to. Now I'm giving her a pep talk. You can do it. Come on. You can do it. You can make me proud. You know, and so sure enough, she threw open the door, and this is absolutely what happened. She would grab the door on the door, and then she would stick her feet out. And as she did, her feet would drag behind her because the momentum in the car. And I said, babe, you can do it. You got to get out. You got to get out so we can get our car fixed, and it's all going to be just fine. And she was hesitant again. I don't know why, but she was hesitant. So how many of you men realize I just gave her a little push in Jesus' name? Amen! Amen! Oh, man. She did get out. Were you okay? All right. She lived. She got out and ran. We've had four children since then, been married for 23 years, all is well. But why she ever married me, (laughs) I don't know, Uh, especially given those circumstances. Now, here's the deal. Many times in our lives, when it comes to our relationships in particular, It is amazing how many times wisdom goes out the window or out the door. Too often times in our relationships, we become more focused on self rather than serving, more stubborn rather than humble, more bitter rather than forgiving. And James addresses that in James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by the deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Who is wise and understanding among you? Isn't that a question we should all want to answer today? Who is wise? Who is understanding? How can I be wise and understanding? The answer is to those who show it by their good life, by their actions, by their humility. James continues this theme. It's not just what you believe. It is how you behave. If you want to be wise, it's not just something that you understand. It is something that you do with your life. Wisdom is not about what you know. It is about how you behave. You know, what I think gets more people into trouble in relationships is this right here. I know a lot of people that believe that they are right, but they can still be wrong. In other words, you mean you might even be right. You might have an argument. You know you're right. You know you've got the right ideas, but you're still wrong. Why? What's the problem? I know a lot of people who may be right in their position, but wrong in their disposition. Factually, they may be right, but they are still wrong. And James says that wisdom in relationships is not shown by whether or not you are right in principle. No wisdom is shown by how, not what you 
uh, believe, but as much as what you do. Those who are wise and understanding should not appear if they know everything because they don't. And those who are truly wise know that. Now, the word wisdom comes out five times in the book of James. This is the last time that it comes out. We were introduced to it in chapter 1, and now here it is in chapter 3. And he gives us two types of wisdom, false wisdom or worldly wisdom or heavenly wisdom or true wisdom. Look at verse 14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. James says, in your relationships, if you harbor bitter envy or selfish ambition, you are not wise. And I would say that the false wisdom is a wisdom that says, it's all about me. Now, maybe it doesn't say it exactly in that way, but it is called selfish ambition. It's similar to what the famous theologian Toby Keith once said. I want to talk about me, I want to talk about I, I want to talk about number one, oh me, oh my, what I think, what I like, what I know, what I want, what I see. I like talking about you, 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 usually, but, but I want to talk about me. James says it this way, worldly wisdom is selfish ambition, bitterness, envy, boasting, and denying the truth. Bitterness. What is Bitterness. Bitterness is an unforgiving spirit that is festered in your heart. You have allowed a bit of unforgiveness to grow in your heart. It has grown like mold. Several years ago, about 15 years ago now, uh, we had bought a house or two to uh, flip and to uh, try to turn around. And so I was looking at a house. It was way out in the country toward Wilmington, and it was on a cul-de-sac. And uh, as I pulled into the cul-de-sac, it actually looked great on the outside. It was a tri-level. And I pulled into this cul-de-sac, this country street, though, and I should have first been warned by a huge sign, a plywood sign that had red letters on it. It was like literally like a horror movie. Beware. Do not buy in this neighborhood. I'm like, oh, that, that's not a good sign. And so I pulled into this house at the end of the cul-de-sac on the left-hand side, beautiful little tri-level. It was not that old. I thought, this is going to be a great house. It's a good buy. I don't know why the price is so low. I went and looked in the window. Everything looked fine. But on the door, it said, buyer beware. Enter at your own risk. And I said, okay, fine. I'll go on in. No big deal. And uh, again, the wisdom thing. And uh, so here I am at the door. And and the realtor says, I'm not going in there. And I said, I'll go in there and check it out. I go in the front door. You can smell something right away. But the house looks fine. But I get to the side where you're going to look down the stairs to the tri-level, and I look down the side, and, I, and I, I glance just long enough to know that there is black mold everywhere. And when I say everywhere, I don't just mean on the exterior walls. I mean on the interior walls. I mean on the doors on the interior walls. I'm talking about the floor, the doors, everywhere that you could see there was black mold in this house. It should have been condemned and torn down. Nobody should have had that house on the market. And what I know is that bitterness is like black mold. It starts small, but over time it begins to grow. Maybe on the outside you look fine, but on the inside of your heart, bitterness has grown. And you know what? You think bitterness is about the other person, what they did, what they said, how they treated you. You think it's not about me, but in this case it is. It is. Bitterness is all about you. I'm not saying that your hurt doesn't matter. It does. I'm, I'm, I'm saying it does matter to God. Your hurt matters. 
but your bitterness you have allowed to grow in your heart. And what I'm saying is that when it grows, it can often overcome your heart. Forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't mean trust, but it does mean forgiveness. Jesus said, unless you forgive others, you will not be forgiven. Then James says, it's all about me when it comes to selfish ambition. The wisdom of the world says I'm wise if you look out for your own interests, if I'm successful in the world. It's not wrong to be ambitious, but it is wrong to have the wrong motives. And selfish ambition says I want to look out for myself. I want to do what's best for me. Not only is there selfish ambition, but you're boastful. In your relationships, you're the person who always has to be right. You always have to have the last word. When you want to make sure everybody else is silenced by your brilliant argument, and then you are a champion then if you are of worldly wisdom, and you're unwilling to say, I'm sorry. Worldly wisdom is all about me. And then listen to these harsh words, verse 15. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. James says, worldly wisdom is earthly. It has no thought of the world to come. It's only focused on the here and now. It's not about winning the war. It's about winning the battle today. In your relationships, are you more concerned about being right than you are loving your neighbor as yourself? Are you more concerned about winning the battle than you are winning their hearts? Are you more concerned about making a point than you are making a friend? Your heart is not concerned about eternal things, but the here and now. It's about what I can do now to be successful, regardless of who I hurt along the way. That's earthly. Not only that, it's unspiritual. You have no idea of the spiritual side, no idea what the Holy Spirit wants you to do in this case. It's not guided by the Spirit, it's guided by the enemy. So much so that he says it's demonic. It resembles or proceeds from demonic forces. When you are selfish or boasting or envious, James says that does not come from the Lord. It comes from the deepest, (coughs) darkest places of the human experience. It comes from our enemy, the devil. But then the positive. James chapter 3, verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. <laughs> Listen, he says, wisdom that comes from God is not all about me, and I don't want to oversimplify this, but wisdom that comes from God is all about him. It's not a wisdom of the world, it's a wisdom from heaven. That's true wisdom. Listen, it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. True wisdom comes from the heart and the soul of a man who is totally sold out to Jesus Christ. That's the wisdom that comes from heaven. Wisdom is not learned. It's not gained, it's given. It's wisdom from above. And if you want true wisdom, it's not found in gaining knowledge, it's found in gaining humility. James already told you that. James chapter 1, verse 5. <coughs> if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without approach, reproach, and it will be given to him. The obvious truth is that we all lack wisdom, all of us. And so only by God can it be given to us because he is the only one who actually possesses true wisdom. And if you're going to acquire wisdom in your life, you've got to seek it from the Lord. Listen, Jesus Christ is our model. And he has all the obvious traits of the fruit of the Spirit. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you 
and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You want to be like Christ? Gentle, loving, humble, and you will find rest for your souls. The world says win the battle, win the argument, get what you want, regardless of the cost of others, you're number one. (laughs) And this is true even in our homes, friends. As you battle with maybe family or friends or those at work, are you demonstrating meekness, humility, gentleness, purity? Those are the attributes of wisdom. I want you to listen to second, or 1 Corinthians chapter 2. <coughs> Yet among you, the mature, we, we do to impart wisdom. Although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. In other words, everybody who says they're wise today, everybody who says in the world they've got wisdom, but they're of this world, guess what's going to happen? They're going to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age have understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man has imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us from God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to us who are spiritual. Those are a lot of deep words, but they basically mean this, that if you are seeking wisdom of the world, you're seeking from the wrong leaders. You have to seek the wisdom of God, God's wisdom, God's heart. If you want wisdom, you've got to be closer to what God wants. Stephen Hawking is wise in the world's eyes, but he denies God's power and his sovereignty. And friends, that wisdom is not true wisdom. Wisdom does not come by your own pursuits. It comes characterized by the heart of God. If you don't believe me, just listen to these words that James uses. He said this wisdom in verse 17 is pure, it's holy, it's set apart, it's peaceable. This wisdom that from God is a God of peace. It's gentle. That means gracious, the idea of yielding to one another. It's open to reason. It's not stubborn in your actions with other people. It's open to reason. It's full of mercy. We all need mercy. We need the mercy of God, and we need to extend the mercy of God to others. It's full of good fruits. The wisdom that was from above resulted not in evil, th- not in evil things, but things from God. It's impartial. God's wisdom does not show favoritism. God's wisdom is sincere. It's heartfelt. And when you list all those characteristics, you can't help but to also think of Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, which which tells us this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against those things there is no law. Can I ask you for your kids, if you have kids, Which list would you rather have your kids live by? The list of the world or the list of the Spirit? Two years ago, I mentioned before that I had a student in one of my classes. It was a class called Philosophy and Christian Thought. And as we went around the room, the student said, I'm an agnostic. And everybody was, I said, what's your faith background as we go around? This is my family. This is my job. This is what I do. And what's your faith background? And he goes, my faith background is agnostic. 
I go, okay. And so we're now the whole class, you know, I'm thinking about this student and how he's processing the information as we talk about uh, these big questions of life. Where do I, where did I come from? Where am I going? You know, is there such a thing as truth? These big questions. And at break time, oftentimes during class, he would come up and he would say, Dr. Sams, he said, I've got a question for you. And, and as we got to know each other more, I could tell he was more and more interested. And then finally, one day we began to talk at break time and he began to share with me a story. It wasn't that he was not ever in church. In fact, he was in church for a while, but he grew up in a church that was very, very judgmental and and or at least that had been his experience, I think, after college rather than growing up. And that really turned him off to the Lord and the things of God. He said, if that's what it is, I don't want any part of it. He and his wife then uh, just totally divorced themselves from church, and they claimed both of them they were agnostic. If there is a God, we don't know if he loves us. And so I just said, listen, let's just take a look, because we just taught on this idea. So let's just take a look at these two lists in Galatians chapter 5. I said, you think about it, and you tell me which one you think you want for your life and for the life of your kids, okay? And I said, James, or Galatians 5 says um, that, the, that those who are against the Spirit, it's sexual immorality, debauchery, impurity, uh, slander, and the like. But those who are in the Spirit, it's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. And I'm just asking you, which one of these would you rather have for you and your family? And he goes, obviously, I'd rather have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. And I said, then it's not that you don't love God. It's that you've had issues with the church. And I said, don't let Jesus be messed up by people. And then on Thursday, that, or on the fourth week of that class, he, he came to me at break time. He said, Professor, he said, it's not that I was ignoring you during class. I was texting my wife. I go, that's fine, whatever. But you get a you get a B now, fine, whatever. But uh, no, I didn't say that. Uh, I said uh, I said uh, what did, what did you say? He said I wrote my wife. We've had many discussions over this class. He said I just wrote my wife this question: What if God is real? And since then we've had lunch together. The opportunity to talk about matters of faith. He has moved from agnosticism to faith, but it is mostly based not only on what Jesus did in the defense of Christianity, but it is also based on this list right here that he would rather have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness in his life than he would have all the other things mentioned in Galatians chapter 5. My point is that all of us, when we look at what God wants from us, these things don't come necessarily instinctively to us. They come because God's spirit is within us and because we have a wisdom that comes from him. Now, how will you gain this wisdom very quickly? I'm just going to give you three big ideas, and this will be it for the day. Number one, if you want this kind of wisdom, you have to have an ever-growing understanding of the God of the Bible. Not the God of your imagination, but the God of the Bible. I hear people say, well, I just don't think God would do this or God would do that. Well, that's nice and feels good, but that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a true God, and the Word of God tells us about what God is like. And what you have to base it on is the word of God. And so that's why it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed out by God, and it is profitable to, for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You want to grow in wisdom? Grow in an understanding of God and the God of the Bible. That's why we preach from the Bible. And it's important that you hear not from me, but that you hear right from the scripture. Secondly, walk in community. 
Listen to Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in abundance of counselors there is safety. So you need to be around other men and women who are serious about a pursuit of knowing the God of the Bible. They enter into, allow them to enter into your space, into your world, so they can speak truth into your life about what you're doing or not doing, so they can mid-course correct you along the way. Friends, they are called blind spots for a reason, and we all have them, because you are blind to them, and you need somebody around you to say, hey, friend, listen, I love you. Here's something you may want to pay attention to. And thirdly, put yourself under godly leaders. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Here is what I have found over the years, is when we read a passage like that, we react to it because we say, words like obey and submit are words that we don't like to hear. But when I read those words as somebody who's called to lead, I read the next section which says, as those who are to give an account. There is a weight that comes with leadership And those of you, all of us, all of us need people who we are following, who we are under that authority, whether it be your community group leader and someone who's mentoring you in that way, or whether it be leadership in the church or what have you, all of us need the wisdom of leaders around us. And that's why, friends, if you are new to our church or if you're looking for a church, I want to challenge you today. Don't choose a church based on its size its music, or the quality of its coffee. Choose it because it is, it's committed to God's word and its truth and the teaching of the Bible and its commitment to the mission of God to evangelize the lost. It doesn't mean that we don't have good music and it doesn't mean that we don't have good coffee. It does mean that we, we focus primarily on what God's word teaches. That's why most of our teaching just comes exegetically, what we call exegetically or expositorily, which is just right out of the scripture, verse by verse, so that everybody understands this is what the Bible says, and now I'm going to incorporate that into my life. That's the kind of church that all of us need to be a part of. Because godly wisdom doesn't come from a self-help book, it does not come from Barnes & Noble, it does not come from social media or from the news. Godly wisdom comes from the Word of God, which teaches us Jesus Christ that models for us and the Holy Spirit that guides us. I like what Matt Chandler says about this. He says, true wisdom is driven by that day I stand in front of a God and give account for my life. I know a day is coming when I'm going to stand in front of my creator and give an account for all I've done and what he has given me. That day is coming. I'm four hours closer right now than than I was when I pulled into the parking lot here. It's coming. I don't know when my day is. I've come to that precipice a couple of times now, he writes. I mean, maybe it's this year. Maybe this is my last year. Maybe this is my last week. This might be my last night. If you struggle with anxiety, he said, I'm not trying to cause you an attack. I'm just saying, we don't know, but I want to live my life in such a way, love my wife in such a way, raise my children in such a way, use my gifts in such a way as to acknowledge that there is a day coming that I stand in front of God. And on that day, I will plead the blood of Christ and say, I did all I could for your grace, and I'll worship. But that needs to be the driver in the wisdom that I live my life by. It is rooted from above. All of us should have that kind of longing for wisdom, the wisdom from God. Now, my job now is to lead us into a time of communion, and I was, as I was processing that this week, I came across kind of a new thought for me, probably not new for you, 
But every time I think about communion, I always think about the past. I always think about what God did for us. It is in remembrance of me. But do you know the verse says that whenever you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So every time we take communion, we're not just looking backwards. We're looking forward to the time when we are in heaven with the Lord for eternity. And that's what I want you to think about today. Because we think about the time of communion. I want you not just to think about the past. I want you to think about where are we going to be as we stand before the Lord? And it will not be in our wisdom. It will not be in our knowledge or in our righteousness. It will be only and purely because the wisdom that comes from God has been imparted to us. And Jesus has been our leader and guide in our life. And we have chosen to follow him. That will be our only standing when we come before the king of the universe. God, I plead. I beg you. And he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Look, I know you didn't get it all right. I know you weren't perfect. But you pled the blood of Christ in your life. And because of that, you were given a wisdom beyond yourself. And because of that, I now allow you to enter into the kingdom, the heavenly kingdom of God. God, we thank you for the chance to study your word today. Thank you that it informs us. But mostly we pray and thank you that it transforms us. That we move from understanding to actually belief and from belief to behavior. That it changes our processing and how we think. And so God, for those today who have a tendency to be more stubborn, tendency to want to be more right, a tendency to not want to apologize, a tendency to want to hold pride or bitterness in their heart, God, I pray for a releasing and a trusting in you that there would be a deeper reliance on your wisdom and that we would follow the example of Jesus to be more meek and more humble. That we would follow the example of Jesus in the book of James that says, be slow to speak, slow to become angry. That we'd be people of peace and that we'd be people who seek the righteousness from God, not in our own efforts. And God, thank you that the communion reminds us that there's no way we could get there on our own. And God, the, the communion reminds us that the only way to God is through your son Jesus, both in the past and what he did, our present and how we live, and our future glory to come. We thank you in Jesus' name.